0: mindfulness mode
1: you know like slow it all down and and open that little window
0: hey mindful tribe i'm here today with a men's coach and not only is he a men's coach but he's a master in jiu-jitsu so I'm very excited to talk to him about that. He helps people uh, focus on business uh, and on the human experience as well. And he's a spiritual explorer, a transformational coach, and he's spent decades studying and traveling the world and looking for answers. and I'm just really looking forward myself to talking to my guest today. And my guest's name is Nicholas Gregoriadis. So Nicholas, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate you
1: having me on on your platform. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, it's my complete
1: pleasure. So are you in mindfulness mode today? I I absolutely am in mindfulness, mindfulness mode today. I did a meditation before I started my day. And as you of all people understand, uh, the days in which you, you start with some kind of mindfulness practice generally seem to flow better and just be better than the ones in which you don't. So I am in mindfulness mode, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Nick?
1: Uh, what a great question. Uh, I think it's 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 about presence. It's about being in the present moment. And at the moment, I'm, I'm starting to realize that it's largely about... Um, and one of the ways you can look at it the way i'm looking at, it at the moment is it's it's about either being in your left your left brain or your right brain so either having that very hyper individualistic um analytical constantly chattering left brain mode running or in the more right brain sort of global holistic big picture serene sort of mode um and that's just one way to look at it, that, that dichotomy. But that's, and that's the one I'm looking at at the moment, but there's other ways to frame it. Either way, it's about being here now and being present and, and calm and open and just happy to be alive.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I'm fascinated that you've been trained in jiu-jitsu by the amazing Roger Gracie, who is anybody who knows about jiu-jitsu knows that he's... He's a well, highly renowned uh, coach in jiu-jitsu. And uh, so tell us about you when you first discovered jiu-jitsu and what it did for you and how it changed your life.
1: Yeah, so, you know, Bruce, I've always been interested in martial arts ever since. As long as I can remember, I've always loved martial arts. I grew up on movies like Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme and American Ninja with uh, Michael Dudikoff and my dad was a uh, karate black belt, and uh, I started training judo at a young age. And, you know, as I got a little bit older, as I was a, a teenager and a young adult, I just started looking for more avenues to train. And they eventually led me to um, jiu-jitsu because at the time jiu-jitsu was becoming super popular because uh, the UFC had kind of been around for, it was still the early days, but it was clear that the jiu-jitsu guys were dominating. So I was like, okay, this is obviously the best martial art, one of the best martial arts to choose. So I started to focus on that. And that's how I found myself uh, becoming ultimately a a jiu-jitsu instructor.
0: So is it ever too late to to begin doing jiu-jitsu, do you think?
1: You know, the politically correct answer is no, it's never too late, you know. But the the later you start the harder it's going to be i think starting after your 40s like starting in your 50s is going to be tough uh not not mm-hmm. so much from a mental point of view because you know the the mind is always uh malleable and and the modern um, studies of neuroplasticity show that that you can continue to to learn new skills well into old age but i think in your in your 50s i think it's it's probably a little bit too much on the body for most people. If you're someone mm-hmm. who's in amazing shape, like a triathlete, and you've maybe wrestled in college, and you've your your body is in great shape, then I, I think you could probably get away with it. But to have mm-hmm. someone who um, is not very physical and who hasn't done much sport or physical training since, I don't know, since maybe they were a teenager, expect to come in at, at 50 and then jump into it, it it's possible it's just gonna to be tough, right It's going to be really tough
0: yeah well i'm I'm interested in your journey because i I read that you were raised in a rather unhappy home and you had said you were a chubby kid an unpopular kid. Yeah. Tell us about your childhood and how you transitioned through that
1: so I grew up in in South Africa uh, to in in i wouldn't say great privilege but I mean, if you looked at my childhood, it would be like any middle-class American kid's childhood, or very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only yeah. difference is that we had a uh, a maid working for our family, which is a, a black lady. Um, which I mean, it would be very rare to find that in a middle-class home in in South, in, in America, right? Um, but because right. of of the nature of South Africa, the political nature and the discrepancy, the vast discrepancies in income. That's it's pretty common even to this day for like a, a, a middle class white family to have uh, you know someone work for them someone of color work for them yeah um, sure and you know I I wouldn't say we were wealthy but I didn't really want for much you know I never I was never hungry always had toys at Christmas went to a, a good school um, but you know there were certain elements in my childhood that were very difficult. Uh, the first being that my parents, who I love very much, and they're both wonderful people, however they unfortunately are, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say this to them in person, they're they're emotionally stunted people. Um, they never really became emotion, emotional adults. And mm-hmm. so, um, and they didn't have a good relationship, partly because of that. And so I was... Kind of caught between this very um contentious unhealthy relationship between these these two parents and uh that combined with being like as i said in in, in my book uh on my on my profile quite quite a chubby kid with a, a very awkward european sounding surname you know like it was tough. Like, like being a kid, it wasn't, was not easy for me. It was really not easy for me. So, you know, at a, like maybe, maybe about 10 or 11, I started to realize I've got to, um, if I want to have a great life, I've got to take control of this thing. I've got to start figuring this thing out. I've got to figure out, look, how do I get in shape? How do I, um, become better with people? How do I deal with these, you know, uh, challenges I'm facing. So I started reading. And reading was both an escape and a salvation for me because, you know, like, I educated myself with regards to several things, but also, uh, yeah, it was an escape It allowed me to just go somewhere else. Uh, And ever since then, I've always been someone who's looked for the answers in books, you know, I've always believed Mm -hmm. if, if you want to find something out, you know, there's someone who's written a book about it, so go and educate yourself. It's it's not expensive, right, to buy a book generally, and, you know, I still believe that. I still believe the potential for your own personal evolution is, in, in this modern day and age, is pretty limitless. And uh, that, that thread has carried all the way through my life up until this point.
0: And you've written a book, and it's called Aligned, mm. and uh, thank you so much for sending it to me. I really appreciate your book and, and all your, your ideas. You've made it very succinct. It's very easy to read and uh, to the point and clear. It's, the subtitle is called The Modern Man's Guide to True Health. Wealth and Fulfillment. And there's a lot in this book that I think would apply to any human, not just men, but then there's some specific things that do apply uh, specifically to men. What made you decide to write this book and what was the process like?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words about the book, Bruce. I'm really happy. I'm I'm so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, what yes. made me decide to write it was, you know, I believe all good books kind of... Or, or, yeah, all, all good books are, there comes a point where they just have to be, you have to get them out. You just feel that this thing is inside you, and you've got to, like, it wants to come out, right? It wants to be expressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was approaching 40 when, when that book was uh, being written and, and completed, and it really felt like, wow, I'm coming to the end of the first phase of my life. You know, like, youth is, there's no way I could pretend I'm young anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's unlikely I'm going to live that much further than 80, you know, I don't even think I want to live that much further than 80, to be honest. Um, and so I realized, yeah, like I, I wanted to have, um, like a touchstone where, uh, you know, I could go to someone that I'd meet, maybe a kid that a 20 year old kid that reminded me of, uh, reminded, um of myself at that age and have something I could say to him like, here, this, this will help you, you know? So it's kind of the book. I'd. The book is kind of something I would have wanted to read when I was starting out as a, as a teenager or a young adult, it would have saved me a lot of trouble having, having that book. You know, it's a, it's a I guess, a distillation of a lot of the stuff that I learned in that first phase of my life. That's, that's maybe the best Mm -hmm. way for me to,
0: to put it right now. Yeah, well, you have a great way of communicating and making things clear. And that's something I appreciated because a lot of books have a lot of fluff Mm -hmm. and yours doesn't. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate that. So, yeah, I want to ask you about psychedelics because I know this is something that you've experienced in your life and you had said that it's made a change for you. So tell me about your first experience with psychedelics.
1: Uh, The first one was in London in, I want to say, 2010. Uh, I did a a very brief, well, not a brief, um, a a private, a very small ayahuasca ceremony with um, a female shaman and uh, a friend. And uh, it was very illuminating um, and also quite scary. And I just, I knew once I opened that door, I knew there was, there was work to be done there and there were things for me to discover behind that door. So uh, to this day, I've stayed quite um, active a couple of times a year at least. I will, I will do a, a, a ritual or a ceremony and try to find clarity on certain things or, or just um, reset my ego or, or just uh, – I just find that they generally improve the quality of my life. Um, mm-hmm. through resetting of my ego or providing clarity or providing sometimes what they do as well, is they provide a sense of adventure, which I think is often lacking, you know, it's, when you go on a trip, you're literally going on a trip, you know, it's a, it's a journey. I mean, the journey is inward yeah. as opposed to outward, but <clears throat> excuse me, Bruce, either way, it's, it's very often an adventure, because you don't know what you're going to get, you don't know what those, those medicines are going to teach you, where they're going to take you. Mm-hmm. And so, um i am i'm quite a big proponent of uh respectful controlled legal
0: psychedelic use so when you go back to 2010 in your mind was that a pivotal time
1: yeah it was uh i was 30 i'm not mistaken 31 maybe 30 and uh i i recently received my black belt jiu-jitsu black belt and you know i'd kind of come to the point where i wanted i wanted to expand with regards to career as well and and i just wanted to to know more about myself because Mm -hmm. i think i would had a difficult um difficult breakup with a a girl at uh, at the time Mm -hmm. and i just i was just trying to figure things out i wanted clarity on certain things and so yeah, it was a pivotal time. It was.
0: Yeah. And so that led you to want to experience more of this than I take yeah. it. And so w- when was the next time then? Mm.
1: So I think that first one was uh, in late 2010. Mm-hmm. And then the next one I did was uh, in Peru at the end of December in December 2012 at the end of the Mayan calendar. Okay, I went with some uh, very good friends of mine and we did a it was a 10 day stay in the in the jungle. And uh, yeah, that was that was a very, I mean, trans. that was a transformative experience. It really is I often say my life is divided into two sections. It was before that, oh. that trip and after that trip, it was deeply, deeply profound. Um, in ways that, to this day, I, I'm I'm yet unable to explain. To be honest, Bruce, like things things happened to me on a on a mental and spiritual level that, I, I mean, it was it was beyond me. It was obviously some higher level consciousness that was working in me and through me, and I can't really explain what what it did. I just know that it it helped me in immensely. It helped me to become a happier calmer person and also helped me to start asking some, some more difficult questions, because I, I what I understand about psychedelics is like an onion. Mm-hmm. You know, each time you, you, you have a, it just peels off a layer and then another layer and another layer. Um, some people just think it's like a, a cure all that works in one administration. But it's been my experience that it's not like that it's it, it reveals, you've got to deal with stuff at the surface, before you can start dealing with the stuff lower down.
0: I see. So after that experience in Peru, how did your life change? Did you start like a business or start doing different things in your life?
1: The the most uh, apparent thing that changed is I was working with someone on a project. Um, and that was becoming, gathering quite a lot of momentum. And the, the frequency, my frequency had just changed so much from that trip that we could no longer really... Um, uh, we could no longer work together, right? We just uh, the, the frequencies were too mismatched, mm-hmm. so that that dissolved. And I also left. I was living in London at the time, and I just something about that city. I just I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't. I didn't want to live there anymore. Like it was again. I think it was a frequency thing. And so that's when I I left and spent the next four years or so just living quite a nomadic lifestyle in which I was traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that, yeah, I mean, that led to that big change, I think.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that psychedelics are going to increase in popularity, that there are going to be more and more people seeing that this is a way that they can uh, create a more positive life for themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean, bruce it's i don't even th- think it's a matter of opinion uh, it's it's obvious that this is happening as we speak psychedelics are becoming more and more yeah uh routinely tested and prescribed and used illicitly uh across all walks of life all strata social strata and economic strata because people are realizing that the 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 dominant paradigm uh is just, it's failing them, right? Mm-hmm. We are so over-medicated and it doesn't seem as if the traditional tools of psychiatry and psychotherapy are are really managing to make a dent um, in this, this um, you know, collective malaise that we are all experiencing. You know, We all know something's wrong with the state of the world uh, and some of us just are hit harder by it than others and those are the people that are maybe a little bit more sensitive or they've had more difficult circumstances. And then, you know, they start to become depressed because they're following all the rules. They're doing what society tells them to do. And, you know, they're they're deeply unfulfilled or deeply unhappy. And then a lot of them seek uh, medical attention or medical interventions, and they get prescribed drugs and these drugs. I mean, sometimes they they can help, but it's, it's from my understanding, they um generally just cause more harm and so people are starting to ask the question well like what are some other ways and, and i think psychedelic therapy is one of those other ways and again the evidence is is there they they are very effective they've been proven effective i don't think they're the only solution but i think that they definitely should be considered as part of the broader solution
0: right Well, thanks for sharing all that insight. I want to ask you a question, Nick, about bullying. And if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. So this could be childhood. It could be adulthood. It could be to do with the work you do or anything like that. I've worked in this field for quite some time. So I always ask a question about this on my podcast Mm. about how... You know, a story about bullying. Maybe mindfulness would have made a difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Look, there were—I don't want to say there were many instances when I when I was bullied as a kid. There, there were a few, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to, to be honest, Bruce, there were a few instances where I was a bully. Um, mm-hmm. I did this very interesting exercise the other day, in which I wrote down everything that I've held against myself or that I am holding against myself, and literally everything as far back as I could go, like started with, I uh, stole this kid's pocket knife when I was six, and uh, this whole list of things all the way up until until now. And mm-hmm. the thing that I found that was uh, very interesting is, once I'd made that list, the next step in this exercise was to forgive myself one by one, for all of these things to really, really forgive myself, not just say that, but yeah. get to a point where I feel I forgive myself. And I realized there there were a few things that I was holding quite a quite strong resentment uh, for towards several people in my life, a few incidents Mm -hmm. a few things that had transpired in our relationships. And when I looked at this list, I saw that all three of those things, I had done similar things to other people in the past. Right. And the reason that I was, holding on to these resentments and I was unable to forgive those people is because I was unable to forgive myself for the same thing. And I think if I could have taken that kind of, sp- and, and that, that what I've just described is a direct result of mindfulness practice, like being mindful leads me to those kinds of things, those kinds of understandings, right? Like whether it changes my own, energy and and perception of the world and leads me to books with exercises like like that in it, or starts to make Mm -hmm. me ask questions about things like that. or or have an instinct about things like that. Um, so I think if, if I had been a more mindful person when I was younger, I, a couple of things, I don't think I would have attracted, uh, that kind of energy from others (laughs) because I wouldn't have felt like a victim. Um, and secondly, uh, if I had attracted it, I would have been much more able to let it go more quickly. Just to to let that that negative set of emotions that would have arisen within me, just been able to process them and let them dissipate. Uh, probably not the, the answer you're looking for, but I I hope that uh, I hope that helps.
0: That really does help. And as a hypnotist, I can tell you that I work with a lot of clients who find that there are, you know, situations in their past, incidences that they have not been able to let go of. And letting go, of course, is a major part of mindfulness and a major part of healing. So way to go that you've worked through those things. And and that sounds like you're continuing to work through a few of them as Mm -hmm. well. So that's that's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just really interested in uh, your experience writing this book and, and was it pretty easy to put this together and did it flow fairly well for you or was it something that you had to struggle with?
1: So it's, it's actually not the first book I've written. I I'd previously written two books on the subject of jujitsu. So I had a bit of experience in the project management aspect of it Mm -hmm. you know i think i think there's two there's two there's two components when you when you write a book the one is project management it's a project right it's a it's an undertaking right and then the second is the the creative process right and and some people are great at one at the one and and uh not so great at the other right that's generally what been my experience um i'm i'm average at both i think Uh, so what i do is i have a specific framework um i really believe that the the fastest way to accomplish anything is to create an outline Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like when you do a puzzle a jigsaw puzzle right the first thing you always do is find the edges and put them down and then then you continue from there right so what i do is i write the introduction and i write the conclusion and then i write the table of contents Mm -hmm. Um, that to me is the the first waypoint or the first checkpoint that you have to get to if you're going to write a good book or or if you want to write a book so Uh, Once that's done, then I just keep a notepad around me. And then it's almost like when you've committed, you said, okay, I'm writing this book. Then the things start to flow, right? Like they, they start to flow a little bit more. And and every time a thought would come up, I would just scribble it into that notepad notepad, and then you start to fill in those pieces. So then I know, okay, this part goes in chapter two, this part goes in chapter six and you start plugging those, those raw um, ideas in. And then the book starts to take shape. And then I heard something many years ago which always stuck with me, which is that uh writing is just rewriting. So once you've done the first draft, you you read through it again and, and invariably it's garbage the first time, right? You gotta it's gotta refine a little bit, and then the second time it's a little bit better, and then by the third third time it's usually in decent enough shape for you to send to an actual editor
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they can give it a once over and then um then you're good to go. So uh that's generally what my process looks like I, there's a bit more to it than that but th- th- that's the basics
0: well mindful tribe check out the book aligned and check out the website uh, nick's website is coachnickg.com, and nick is just n-i-c coach nick so check that out yeah i i want to ask you Uh, Five quick answer questions as we move forward in the interview, Nick. And uh, So just 30-second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life?
1: Uh, Osho, the the author Osho, was actually the first person who led me to meditation, just hearing the way he described it so eloquently in his books. And what it had done, clearly done for him, just made me understand that I've got to get into
0: this thing. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, tell me about your emotions. How have your emotions changed as a result of the mindfulness that you practice?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very emotional person, like very emotional, very passionate. Um, it may not seem like it now because it's after lunch and I, my energy is dropping a little bit. But but generally, I'm I'm extremely emotional. I, I love very intensely, but I also hurt very very intensely, mm. and. Having a mindfulness practice is just a way to regulate isn't the, isn't the best word because it, just to cope with my emotions, right, and to just be able to separate myself from them and realize that these feelings that I'm experiencing aren't necessarily me, right, or all me. I, I, can, I can create a little bit of space between myself and them and ultimately that will allow them to, to
0: dissipate and be processed. Uh, interesting. Tell us about breathing. Do you have any thoughts or ideas about breathing that have helped you be more mindful?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, the the breath is the bridge between the body and the mind, right? And yeah. some say between the between the um, the physical and the metaphysical, or the the finite and the infinite. Um, I, I work with several breathwork practices. Every morning, I do a breathwork practice. I do the the kundalini breath of fire for 11 minutes and mm-hmm. find that energi energizes my body and, and also changes my my mental state and I think that's the key thing is is your breath and your mental state are, are inextricably linked um if one changes what the other usually changes so if you're in your head and panicking if you slow your breath down generally it, it changes that as well so um that's yeah that's my thoughts on, on the importance of
0: Breathing. Well, I recommend your book, again, called Aligned. Are there any other books you recommend? You've mentioned a couple already, but are there any other books that you would uh, like to put out there?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the first one off the top of my head, Bruce, is, uh, it's called Courage, the Joy of Living Dangerously, and that's by Osho. Okay. Um, phenomenal book. Uh, there's Unscripted by M.J. DeMarco, which is a, a treatise on... You know getting out of the traditional life script that society presents us which generally leads to a lot of misery and um put me in the spot of bit here oh i'm listening to a really and oh, i'm reading a really fantastic book now it's called you're not listening oh um yeah the the author's name escapes me right now mm-hmm. but it's all about how the most important aspect of communication is not really your ability to convey ideas it's your ability to listen and that's The most underlooked aspect of communication as well. I realized recently that uh, I was not as great of a listener as I thought I was. So um, I decided to upgrade my skills with this book and it's helped immensely. And then the last one I must recommend that's just come to me. It's actually where that exercise that I was speaking about earlier comes from. It's a book called uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. And I mean, the title says it all. It's all about the absolute essential practice of learning to truly be loving and accepting of yourself. I think like everything else, if you don't have that, if you don't have self-love, it's, it's pretty much a waste of time.
0: Yeah, totally. Love yourself. Like Your Life Depends on It. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. I'll great. put all these in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And these books mm. sound awesome. And they're not books that are often recommended on the show. So I really appreciate hearing these book suggestions because they can really make a big difference in your life when you read books like this. A mm. well, book can, I mean, in the power of books, I think it's so
1: underestimated. Like when you take a book and... Basically, if you think about, I don't have a book here. Actually, this this might do. It. This is a diary, but yeah, it would it will supply. So, so like, let's say this was a a book with some some really powerful information. You're basically like installing it into your mind, yes. right? Like you're installing this new software, and that software will can literally change the way you move through the world. And if you change the way you move through the world, you're going to have a completely different experience, completely. So, I you know I, I one of the I support a, a charity um, that is it's called Read to Rise. It's in Africa. OK. And I support it because I know that the the only way we're going to solve the problems of of Africa and of poverty in general and mm-hmm. is to, to ha- get people educated, right? Because you've heard that expression a million times. I'm sure if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Mm-hmm and i know that if we we can foster in children the love of reading and help them understand this idea as i said earlier in the show that anything you want to achieve in life or anything you want to master or anything you want to get better at or find out about there's a there's a book about it there's at least one book about it right almost anything i've yet to find an exception yes and so you know if like what is it's a superpower if you you give that that to someone if they internalize that and i remember I was in a. I was actually in South Africa a year and a half ago, and I was in an airport. Uh, it was it was early evening, but it was the airport was quite empty, and there was a bookstore in the airport. A bookstore, like excellent bookstore. It's called uh, I think it's called, I forget the name, but it, it's a very good bookstore. You know, it's not a specialized bookstore; it's a general a general one. Mm-hmm. And I walked in. And there was one guy sitting at the the checkout because it was so empty. He could run the whole shop and the checkout at, at the same time and he was playing some crappy video game on his phone like some candy crush or something and i remember like i said to him i was like man what are you what are you doing like i was like you could be reading a book you could you could educate yourself on anything and then you wouldn't have to be sitting in a bookstore right yeah like, like in this dead-end job like you could you could become the next whatever yeah and he kind of like he he looked at me like I was mad, but I, I mean, I, I he just didn't get. I don't think he got what I was trying to impart to him. No. But it was like um, he was surrounded by water. Uh, what's that expression? He was th- thirsty, but and he couldn't see the water all around. Or well, I don't know, right. some idiom or something. But but yeah. you get you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like it was this dude was in a bookstore. He had every tool at his disposal to change his condition, but instead he was playing some crappy video game on his phone and. I mean, if I can save one person from that, my job's done.
0: Yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, I really appreciate it. The, the last question I want to ask you is about an app of any kind. Is there any kind of app that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're the big ones that I'm sure you are, are very well-versed with, and I'm sure your audience is as well, but I, I use Inside Timer, mm-hmm. um, and I've also – been playing around with sam harris's waking up which as everyone knows it's it's just such a wonderful resource he's such an incredible man yes he is um So on the off chance that you guys or your listeners haven't heard of those
0: two, I would highly recommend checking them out. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you Mm -hmm. for that. And as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for anybody listening to this today who might be you know, feeling a little bit unfocused, uh, feeling as though they'd like to have a little bit more center in their life? Any thoughts? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, the first thing is always start with, a little bit of meditation take five minutes just five minutes for yourself every day and sit quietly without any distractions turn the phone off turn the tv off you know don't, be in a room where you're not going to be disturbed and just sit and literally center yourself right get find your center within you breathe deeply into your belly you know like slow it all down and and open that little window to a, a, a different way of being yeah
0: Good advice. Nick, it's been a real pleasure and honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, brother.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You asked wonderful questions. It was really easy to talk to you.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed the interview today with Nick as much as I did. Thanks so much for listening. I've just returned from San Diego where I was part of a terrific event with my mentor, Christian Mickelson. We worked on letting go. We focused on the peace process. I met so many like-minded people, some of whom will be featured in upcoming episodes. So watch for that. And as you've heard on today's episode, I use hypnosis to help people move forward lose anxiety, get out of negative spaces. A lot of my listeners have reached out and maybe today is the day for you to take action. Do this for you. It will benefit everyone in your life, including you. Take back your power. Allow yourself to thrive. I'll help you become the person you were meant to be. So jump in a free call with me and I'll help you see the world in a better way with more hope. Put the word transition in the subject line and email me at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.